This is Secrets of the Most Productive People, a productivity podcast where we work smarter instead of harder and dissect exactly how to get it all done. I'm Fast Company contributing writer and editor Anissa Pivasari Horton, coming to you from Mexico City. And I'm VP of Entertainment Scott Mebus filling in for Kate Davis, who is off raising her tiny, beautiful little baby. She is indeed. Now, this week, we're going to talk about a subject that I'm sure many of us struggle with, which is the quest to get more sleep, because far too many of us are definitely not getting enough. Amen. So later in the podcast, we'll be talking to Dr. Janet Kennedy, who is a clinical psychologist and the founder of NYC Sleep Doctor. She's uh, an expert in all things trying to fall asleep. Um, But I think we should start with our own sleep habits. So are you one of those people who just can't get enough sleep? Uh, I used to be, but I have made some significant lifestyle changes that I think have drastically improved the quality of my sleep. And what about you? Do you get enough sleep? No. <laughs> no, I don't get enough sleep. I think last night I got like four or five hours. My my, I've got two reasons why I don't get enough sleep. One is because I have a two-hour commute door-to-door in the morning and at night. So that, you know, really shrinks the amount of time that I have at home in order to get to sleep. And uh, two, I have a six-year-old who loves to wake me up at 5.30 in the morning by jumping on my head. So you put those two things together and it is very difficult to get a full eight hours. Yeah, you definitely have a lot of obstacles that I don't have to get a good night's sleep. Um, And Ah. this is the depressing reality. When I used to commute into an office. I mean, my commute was nowhere as long as yours. It was only 45 minutes. But you know, there's 90 minutes a day. I also really, really struggled to get enough sleep. I tried everything, um, you know, every productivity hack you can imagine. I tracked what I did, um, but just, it just nothing work. And then I became a location independent nomadic freelancer and work out of my apartment. <laughs> That's and... what they call it? A location independent <laughs> nomadic freelancer? Is that on your W2? Well, I'm calling myself that because I refuse to call myself a digital nomad, but that's a, that's a story for another day. You stick to your guns, woman. <laughs> um, but I have to say, seriously, that 90 minute made such a huge difference. Well, I, I mean, you don't have to get up at the same time the way you did when you have to get into an office. That's got to help. Yeah, definitely that does. I mean, I get up early-ish naturally anyway, but I no longer set an alarm. So if I, you know, have a deadline that I'm working the night before, I yeah don't have to cut off like one or two hours of sleep that I would <laughs> normally have to if I was committing into an office. What is early-ish to you? Seven, sometimes 6.30. Eh, that, yeesh. To me, early is like eight. I'm like, why is the sun up? <laughs> um, well, unfortunately, we we don't all have the luxury of setting our own start time. I'm, I have a six-year-old who sets it for me. So I, I think we should give some hope uh, to those of us who do have to commute to work and be at work at a time that, that we have no control over. Yeah, and don't worry. When we interview sleep experts about this and when whenever I've you know worked on any articles around sleep, this is the reality that we always operate in. But let's pick up a little bit and talk about the symptoms of not sleeping enough. I mean, for me, I definitely know when I'm not getting enough sleep because I find it really difficult to keep my eyes open and, you know, I just get really grumpy. But I know that some people are so used to being sleep deprived that they don't even realize they're sleep deprived. Yeah, I wonder who those people are. Uh, I I don't think I know what it's like to get enough sleep. So I'm I I'm always 
fascinated and looking at myself and trying to figure out, you know, is this normal operation or am I sleep deprived? Did I make that decision because I'm sleep deprived or because I'm not very intelligent? Like, like I, I don't. I'm so sleep deprived all the time. I have no clear idea of what an actual functioning, well-rested me acts like, which I think is is it makes me very nervous. And uh, because I get nervous because of that, I find it harder to fall asleep at night. And it becomes this vicious cycle that doesn't seem to end. And I don't really know what to do about it. When was the last time you got seven or eight hours of sleep? Over Christmas break, my, my son was in Florida, so I was... Uh, by myself all week long and it was heaven but what I found happening was I started going to bed at like one o'clock in the morning and waking up at like nine in the morning so you you, my whole schedule became something that's not realistic uh, for me to do as part of the working world so and plus when you're on vacation you know you're not your brain's different anyway you're not worried about the same things you're more relaxed so it's it's difficult for me to tell oh am I acting more calm because I got enough sleep or because I'm on vacation so I think for me though the last time I actually got enough sleep while at work was in 2002 uh, wow. I took the year off, <laughs> and so I got to sleep and work. I mean, I worked from home. Yeah. So in 2002, I got some sleep. That's that's really sad. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. So what do I need to be lo- what do I need to be looking out for? Because I probably have everything you could talk about uh, that's an issue, but I don't even really know it when I see it. Okay. So other ones that you might not realize are related to sleep. You're unusually hungry. I'm talking about, you know, food that's rich in fat, salt or sugar, just any sort of greasy food. You notice yourself sneezing more often. You keep forgetting things that you definitely shouldn't forget, like your boss's name. And you just find that you need more physical distance from people, like people annoy you more than usual. It is so funny because I get, you know, I do, I can feel myself getting sick. I can feel myself forgetting things. Um, you know, being glad that you're in Mexico. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> but, uh, but. It is funny. I I do get this really, I get this sweet tooth and I start eating this awful stuff. I did not realize that that was tied to sleep. Yeah, I mean, I find that when I haven't had enough shut eye, my carbs craving go to the roof. And I'm normally a, you know, protein and fat for breakfast person. So when I start craving like, you know, greasy bagels or whatever else that you can think of, I was like, okay. This, something's wrong here. But the short answer is when you, don't, when you don't get enough sleep, your hormones go all over the place and it usually spikes up the hormones that are associated with hunger. So let me try and put it in non-scientific terms. But I came across this research in 2019 and apparently when we're sleep deprived, our brains become more sensitive to food with really strong smells, which, you know, calorie dense food, whether that's high in sugar or high in fat, tend to be. Uh, and we end up succumbing to that because there's a breakdown in communication to the brain areas that receive food signals so our bodies might actually not be craving those greasy food we might want like apples and salads and egg whites but the sign the signal to our brain says we want that mcmuffin or bacon and egg bagel so the fact that i've had tacos for lunch four (laughs) days in a row that's tied to me not sleeping that that's not because i'm a a gross monster well maybe i don't know you should probably go and see a doctor (laughs) josh the producer is not just he's like a gross monster i think he's a gross gross monster yeah (laughs) well i mean that i i had no idea actually i'd never made that connection and and uh another reason because i'm trying to lose a little bit of of weight and it's good to know that uh it's not my willpower it's my sleep yeah i've actually heard that apparently sleep has a huge effect on weight loss as well i'd don't really know the scientific sort of explanation behind it, but 
some again something to do with your stress hormones and when your hormones are all over the place i think you end up putting on more weight or you lose it less easily so okay so now that we've talked about how you know junk food cravings is tied to sleep deprivation um i think that we should talk about you know some of the things that we've done in our sleep practice that have helped us and you know we're going to have Dr. Janet Kennedy tell us more about what you can do from her perspective because she deals with it all the time but Scott is there anything that you've done I know that making time is impossible for you but that have helped you (laughs) sleep better um well I think the one thing that I do is I uh I have a um uh, air purifier in my in my room and I find that when I have the air purifier on it evens out the sound around me uh, and it's just helped me get into a more even state so when I turn that on a little higher it's like this constant it, it, it makes a constant noise level around me which means there's less likely to kind of jolt me as I'm trying to fall asleep so that has actually helped calm me and kind of get me into a state where I'm going to be able to fall asleep that's been my my little hack the, the downside is then I don't hear my son come until he's like right <laughs> on top of me but uh, from a sleep perspective it, it definitely helps me what about you Oh, that's really interesting. I've never tried that. Maybe I should. I mean, for me, I feel like most people are going to roll their eyes and be like, there's no way I'm doing that. But I am just a very physically active person. (laughs) So (laughs) I make sure to do some sort of strenuous exercise every day. I mean, you know, not always. You need a rest day. There's one day a week where I do yoga. But I find that when I'm physically exhausted, it doesn't matter how stressed I am. I just want to get to bed. So for me, that's, that's helped more than anything else. Oh, man. I love that your rest day involves exercise. Yoga well, is still exercise. Not really. It's like stretching. My my rest day involves, you know, ice cream and Netflix. So you're definitely one up on me. Even your I mean, rest day. my rest day still also involves ice cream and Netflix. It just also involves yoga at the end. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I really, I, I want to follow your daily blog. And uh, I think I will end up being in shape, sleeping, <laughs> and, and, uh, and generally all around happier. Yeah, I mean, the two-hour commute thing might be a little bit harder because that is four hours out of your day. But I guess there's ways for you to squeeze in, like, I don't know, double-task things in your two-hour commute so that you do save four hours. But I don't know. That's a whole new hack the, altogether. What I'm going to do is I'm on the train. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to run laps up and down the train <laughs> to make sure that I get the exercise in. And plus, it'll just be funny to watch people as I run by them. Yeah, well, that, anyway. sounds, that sounds like a future episode, Scott. We could, oh, hear, man, all about, we could hear all about your experiment with that. Yes, how Scott got more productive by being kicked off the New Haven line. <laughs> exactly. So we're going to take a quick break, and when we're back, Scott will be speaking with clinical psychologist and founder of NYC Sleep Doctor, Dr. Janet Kennedy. So I'm here with Dr. Janet Kennedy, clinical psychologist and founder of NYC Sleep Doctor. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I want to start with the attitude we have towards sleep. Uh, I feel like we're all sleep deprived. So many of us are sleep deprived and we're all trying to find ways to get more sleep. But you've said in, in interviews that sleep is something you actually can't control. Is that really true? Well, you can take good care of it and do all the right things, like taking care of your body, taking care of your stress, taking care of your relationship with technology, work-life balance. But in the end, the finger on the switch that goes from conscious to unconscious is not yours. It's not the kind of control that you have over how many calories you eat or how many steps you take. So presuming that we can control it in that kind of way 
actually creates more performance anxiety and frustration and leads us to do things that may undermine our sleep in the long run. That, that sounds very familiar to me. It's when I'm laying awake in the middle of the night trying to turn that switch. So how, how do you then go about, I guess, unconsciously turning that switch? I tell my patients to stop trying to sleep and let sleep come to them. So the easiest, best way to do that is to just read until you can't stay awake. And I find that reading fiction is best because it gives you a pleasant place to go. It takes you out of your problems and your life and puts you in someone else's, which allows your body to settle down and be quiet and take over with its natural fatigue when it's ready. What about something like, say, a podcast mm -hmm. or uh, audio? Audio is okay, except you have to find a way to separate it from your phone because anytime you're clicking around on your phone, you're sort of rekindling your day and you run the risk of checking things that perhaps wouldn't would be best left till morning, like, say, your bank balance or your email or. Were you, you know. in my room last night? <laughs> well, so um, so having uh, music or something like that, that would be similar. Like if you're just listening to your favorite album before you fall asleep, does it is it better if it's something familiar or something new? Well, there are different qualities to music and podcasts and reading. So reading is really good because it really captures your attention. You're working a little bit. You're creating mental images. You're tracking the words on the page. That's a little bit of work. Um, there's also long-standing sleep associations associated with reading from childhood and you know through the years. So that is helpful. I find with audio content, if it's a podcast or even an audio book, it, it can have a similar effect. Music is a little different because your mind can still wander. So it's really about the person and whether that's enough for them to capture. So it's about being engaged Absolutely. fall asleep. You want your mind and your thoughts to be away from all of the garbage of the day that you didn't get to think about. Man, that really is sounding like the exact opposite of what I do. So now you're, you've told us about what to do right before you fall asleep. Is there anything you can do leading up? Is there like a, a runway towards good sleep? Absolutely. And I like that analogy because I think of it as a, an off-ramp from your day, the time leading up to sleep. And you want to think about how to slow down your thoughts, how to bookend your day so that the things you have to think about aren't still percolating all through the night. So you could keep a work journal where you just take a few minutes at the end of your day to jot down what you've accomplished and then what you have left to do so that that piece doesn't have to just keep running in your mind and, and you don't have to effortfully try to remember things. Technology is a big one, figuring out an appropriate time to stop checking email. <laughs> I, I, you're looking at me accusingly and you're right. I mean, I'm not accusing well, you. Well, I guess my, my question about that, though, is it's like everything is technology. Like if I shut technology off in my house, I'm just standing there staring at the wall like, I guess, like we, used to. Yeah, like guess, we used to, like we used to, but less than we used to because yeah. we've it's replaced so many things that yeah. we used to do. It's like there's nothing there when you take it away now. So I guess is there like a technology detox you can do during the day, like a weaning, or is it really like all right, you're going to sleep at eleven, at ten o'clock, all the screens turn off, and and you need to shift. 
It's a little bit of both. So there are certain apps and activities that you can start to put limits on for yourself, like when you're checking your email, when you're responding to texts, things like that. Then, you know, if you still want to be on social media or if you need to, you know, buy something on Amazon, that's fine. But at some point, you do need to put that phone down. And I would also say you need to stop multitasking pretty early in the evening. So if you're watching TV and you're on your phone at the same time, which everybody is I'm these like, days. So you're a human. Yeah. Maybe you need better TV content because <laughs> like, if, if you can multitask that way, then something's wrong. And ultimately, we used to do one thing at a time. Now we are always doing at least two. And that keeps the brain active in a different kind of way. And it doesn't really know how to slow down in time on our frenetic schedule to let us get into sleep the way we used to. So giving yourself that buffer, giving yourself a chance to slow it down, pull away a little bit, resolve a few things, and go a little lower tech, not not no tech, but a little lower tech, um, can, can make a huge difference. I like to say turn off your phone an hour before bed and don't keep it in the bedroom. I'm not as strict about TV, although I don't like TV in the bedroom, as long as you're then doing something else like reading before you go to sleep. Because reading really, I'm, I'm on my reading thing again, but reading really clears the mind. And clearing the mind is ever more important. Like it just, we've got so much going on, so many different kinds of things all at once. And to slow down, we need to pay attention to that and take care of our mind, the way we take care of our body when it comes to sleep. So I read uh, on my iPad. <laughs> so at what point does reading bounce up up against the whole blue screen right. thing? Well, I mean, you can use filters. That's true. My biggest beef with the iPad is that you're one click away from all this other stuff. That's true. So, you know, I'd rather see you read on a dedicated e-reader than on your iPad. I'd rather... How many devices do you want me to have? Well, you could also <laughs> just get a book. <laughs> Look, I have found, actually, that I have to start reading again physical books because I want my son to not think I play games all the time. Right. And when I'm on my iPad, he thinks I'm playing a game. So I'm, I'm trying to do that now. There's something it, really satisfying about reading an actual book and turning the pages and being able to flip back through it and, you know, recall things you've read. It's not the same. It. Yeah. The, the smell I do find... To be, uh, to you know, that calms me down. And closing it at the end, like it's, it's great. <laughs> We're such reading fetishists. <laughs> uh, um, so, I'm guessing from what you've been saying, the answer to this question. But uh, you know, sleep deprivation has just become so prevalent in the modern world. Do you think it's technology, or do you think it's anxiety? Like, what do you think's the root cause? I think it's technology. I think it's anxiety. I think it's productivity demands, and that. That we don't have any boundaries on anything anymore. And in many ways, that's fine. You know, that it, it helps us in a lot of ways. I'm not anti-tech, but we also have to be mindful of our relationship with it and impose a structure because there isn't one. Mm -hmm. So the idea of having these boundless goals and to-do lists, like the bar is always moving. You finish one thing and there's always something more. That doesn't really 
work well with the idea of unwinding and letting go and and really surrendering to sleep. So if we're trying to run a million miles an hour and do 50 things at once, up until the moment we're ready to sleep, the brain gets kind of whiplash and the body too because we're adrenalized and sleep doesn't come. And then comes the frustration about sleep not coming, which leads to it insomnia. So it's time for sleep to be part of the equation in terms of overall productivity, overall health. But I add caution to that statement because it can very easily become something that that people are trying to sort of tick off the box of like mm. I I my it's a to do list Fitbit piece. said I got you know sixty two minutes of deep sleep last night <laughs> and you know it's great that people are paying attention to that stuff but again it those kinds of markers don't apply the same way to sleep as they do with other aspects of health behavior you're adding anxiety to what's supposed to be a relaxing endeavor if you're worried about how many REM sleep hours you get. It's funny because what you're talking about when you're talking about productivity and things like that, a lot of times those demands aren't even self-imposed. They're imposed on you. Like, you know, we're part of a culture in which productivity has become, uh, I mean, we have a whole podcast about it. How much do you think uh, is out of our control that way where the demands on us, like there's something needs to change in how corporations or businesses view their employees' time, you know, to help solve this problem? Well, yeah, in a perfect world, that would happen. But it's not hopeless until there's this huge (laughs) sea change in corporate America. You know, if you think about how much time you waste during the day with distractions, that is a great area to try to improve, to add productivity into your day and then you don't need to have it encroaching into your night. Um, The other thing is really getting better at setting appropriate goals for yourself. And, you know, I do often help people figure out how to do that and how to communicate that to their superiors. Um, And also to, to just test out what's really necessary. Like, what happens if you put your phone away at 10 o'clock and you miss an email that comes in at 11? Does the sky fall or? Nothing happens. Nine times out of 10. Nine times out of 10. And the 10th time. uh... You're fired. (laughs) (laughs) Man. Are you glad you work for yourself? (laughs) Right. I am. Big reason. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, let's I mean, let's let's pivot away from, you know, why we're not getting sleep and let's talk about what happens when we don't. So I am someone who does not get enough sleep uh, through many self-imposed reasons and because I have a six-year-old who likes to come in at 530 in the morning and poke me in the face. So what is happening to me? Like what happens when someone is getting five to six hours of sleep a night? How does it change how they exist? Chronic sleep deprivation causes all kinds of physical problems. It changes the way your body regulates hormones having to do with hunger. It changes insulin resistance, It, which all of those things lead to weight gain. Um, it affects your concentration, your reaction times, your focus, all the things that you're complaining about during the day. Like, if only I were more productive during the day, I'd be able to sleep at night. You know, it, it, it becomes this vicious cycle. There's a new study coming out every day, it seems, telling us what's going to happen if we're sleep deprived. And I think that's helpful for people who don't think that sleep is important. 
to sort of give the message that sleep is really, in fact, essential. It's one of very few essential bodily functions. You have to do it, and your body will make you do it if you if you deprive it for long enough. But I think that those messages about all the terrible things that are going to happen to you, like you're going to get dementia, you're going to die early, all of these things, they sound really dire and horrible. And then people get very scared about it. People who value sleep and who are doing their best and, you know, <laughs> trying really hard like you are. We're just we're doing our best. <laughs> um, it creates unnecessary anxiety. And then anxiety, of course, leads to insomnia. So you end up with this, again, vicious cycle. Vicious cycle. So... I don't focus so much on all the little things that could happen. Um, I also don't focus so much on a specific number of hours that a person needs because, you know, one study will tell you 7.6 hours and someone will be going to bed early tonight trying to get that 7.6 hours and only getting five because they can't sleep that much. And then they get anxious because they can't sleep that much and then they sleep less. So... My feeling is to, that, you know, we need to figure out what each of our individual sort of set point is with sleep. And you can do that by keeping a sleep diary, getting up the same time every day for a week or two, and seeing when you're sleepy at night. So uh, when I was young, my dad would sleep like four or five hours a night. And then on the weekend, he would, quote unquote, catch up. Uh, he'd sleep like eight hours and, and uh, you know, he thought that that would solve his, his problem. Is that true? Can you catch up on sleep? Not really. You can catch up a little bit, but it's much, much healthier to sleep a consistent amount every night. That doesn't mean to the minute. There's a range. I say I usually say like plus or minus half an hour or even an hour like to to see what your individual variability is. But when you sleep roughly the same amount each night, then you don't end up in that kind of jet lag that happens with a schedule like your dad's. So I would imagine that he would have a very rough time going to sleep on Sunday nights because you sleep all weekend, you're not ready to go to bed when you want to on Sunday night. You add that to Sunday scaries and you've got a real problem. <laughs> Sundays are terrifying. Um, well, so that's a sleep myth. Are there any other sleep myths that you just hate that they're out there? The eight-hour one is a big one because people really aspire to it, and then they stay in bed too long. They go to bed too early. They try to make up for lost sleep when they're not really listening to what their body needs. Another one is just just try <laughs> or just <laughs> lie there and rest. Oh, uh, that's my worst. And, you know, speaking of your six-year-old, you want to think about the messages you're sending about, you know, trying to sleep, you've got a big day tomorrow and things like that that set them up for the performance anxiety that we have, that our parents did to us. But the idea of resting and trying harder, that actually can backfire really badly and create a lot of agitation, create a negative association with the bed, um, and it can fragment sleep. So if you're in bed for a long period to get the same or less sleep than you would if you just went to bed later, then that sleep isn't as that the quality of that sleep isn't as good as a consolidated sleep. All right. So I don't have the time to do all the stuff you're talking about. <laughs> I get home, unfortunately, at nine o'clock at night. Right. Uh, so if you had to give me some advice where it's like, all right, I have to be up at six. I get home at 
between eight and nine. Uh, you know, so obviously don't have a lot of time to unwind. You know, what would your advice be to me? Like, what should I really focus on? I would focus on setting a turnoff time, figuring out what that really can be realistically, and trying to find some sort of high-value unwinding practices, whether it's meditation or stretching or sitting and staring at the wall. It doesn't really matter as long as it works for you to help kind of slow down your mind a little bit. And then I would say read right before you go to sleep until you can't stay awake. And if that's, you know, two pages because you're tired, that's beautiful. This has been Dr. Janet Kennedy, clinical psychologist and founder of NYC Sleep Doctor. Thank you so much for for coming on the podcast today. It was great to meet you. Thanks for having me here. As you all probably know, Kate is away on maternity leave, but she did have a few things to say in our recurring segment. You might want to write this down. So press pause, get your pen ready, because you might want to write this down. How to get more sleep. Number one, create the best sleep environment. It may sound obvious, but most of us are making some big mistakes in our bedrooms. First, unless you want to wake up at dawn, get blackout curtains. Speaking of light, you should know this by now, but get your phone out of your bedroom. The blue light is awful for your sleep cycle. Reading social media, news, or emails before bed is horrible for calming your mind, and the mere presence of your phone in the room can make you feel the need to check it. Next, consider the rest of your surroundings. Comfy bed and temperature, of course, but what about sound? A white noise or other sound machine can also be helpful in blocking out a mind that just won't turn off. Number two, follow a set bedtime and make rituals as part of your routine. Chances are, when you were a kid, you didn't need advice on how to get a better night's sleep. Chances are, you also had a bedtime and a pretty set routine that maybe included a bath and story time. Follow a similar outline as an adult. If you need to get up at the same time every morning, you should be going to bed at the same time every night. To avoid letting binge watching creep into that time, set an alarm for when your wind down routine needs to start. Try 20 minutes wrapping up last minute tasks for the next day so that they're off your mind and then 20 minutes doing something relaxing like reading a book. Number three, be more active so that you're actually tired. It's hard to feel very physically exhausted when you've spent the entire day just sitting. So make sure you get at least 20 minutes of exercise during your day. Just don't do it too close to when you want to go to bed so that your body has time to calm down. That's all for this episode. Be sure to subscribe to Secrets of the Most Productive People wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you to everyone who's reached out over Twitter and on our hotline. If you need guidance from the most productive people, get in touch. The number to leave a voicemail is 201-371-FASD or hashtag FCMostProductive on Twitter. You'll also find it in the show notes. If this episode was helpful, please let us know. Leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. You can follow Fast Company on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Secrets of the Most Productive People is produced by Joshua Christensen. 